the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back and happy April 28th, 2021. Tonight, Joe Biden will deliver his first annual message to Congress, normally referred to as the State of the Union. Republican South Carolina Senator Tim Scott will be giving the rebuttal. Here's what I wished he would say tonight, and I'd love your thoughts. Good evening. Many of you don't know me. I'm U.S. Senator Tim Scott, Republican from South Carolina. One of the reasons you may not know me is too much of the media, the academic community, and the Democratic Party, whose leader we just heard from, much too much, too many in those communities, don't think I should exist, do exist, or can exist. But the Republican Party, the party I'm speaking for, the party I affiliate with, affiliate with, they know who I am. They know who I am because since its founding, the Republican Party has always known who I am. A man, first and foremost, a man, second, an American, third, my relationship with God, and that I am the brother and the progeny of other Americans who fought for this country. First, that I'm a man. Second, that I'm an American. Third, that I am a Christian. And fourth, that my brother and my family have fought for this country. Why does the Republican Party know me so well? Since its founding in 1856, and perhaps it is the only major political party ever founded for this reason, but since its founding, the Republican Party was created to rid this country of slavery. Indeed, it called slavery a relic of barbarism in its very first platform in 1856. And as the great American Frederick Douglass pointed out, this is the party, this Republican Party, with the leadership of founders of it like Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses Grant. This is the party that was founded in opposition to the Democratic Party, founded in opposition to the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party wanted to justify and expand slavery. They knew of me, the Republican Party, not as a man, or excuse me, they knew of me, the Democratic Party, not as a man or an American, but the Democratic Party knew me as property. Abraham Lincoln put it this way, quote, slavery is founded in the selfishness of man's nature, opposition to it in his love of justice. These principles are an eternal antagonism. And when brought into collision so fiercely as slavery extension brings them, shocks and throes and convulsions must ceaselessly follow. Repeal the Declaration of Independence, Lincoln said. Repeal all past history. You still cannot repeal human nature, 
it still will be the abundance of man's heart that slavery is wrong, and out of the abundance of man's heart and mouth will continue to say so. Replace slavery today with racialism, and you will find that those kinds of issues, as they have for the past year and a half and perhaps even a little bit longer than that, have brought shocks and throes and convulsions to our country. But you see, the Republicans I have always known, have always thought about, have always spoken with, they spoke like Lincoln. They spoke like Douglas. They spoke like Grant. They got what Supreme Court Justice John McLean got in his dissent in the famous Dred Scott case of the 1850s. We blacks, though some of us may have been brought here against circumstances we would have wished, though too many of us were impressed into the service of other properties, U.S. Supreme Court Justice John McLean dismissed in his dissent the holding of Dred Scott, written by a leading Democrat, Roger B. Taney, and Justice McLean said that we blacks, quote, bear the impress of our maker and are amenable to the laws of God and man and destined to an endless existence, close quote. That's the Republican Party back then. The Democratic Party was telling me that the black man, me, has no rights, which the white man must respect. The Republicans thought differently. They thought I bore the impress of a maker and that we are amenable to the laws of God and man. As Frederick Douglass put it, the Republican Party's sword, quote, cleft the hydra head of treason, and its true heart gave we, the black men, the ballot, close quote. You see, I've always known the Republican Party, and it's always known me. You can see as an independent thinking man who knows his history and knows what the Democrats say about me, you can see why they don't want me to exist or why they don't recognize me. They would not have recognized me as a man in the 1850s or 1860s. They do not recognize me as a thinking man who can have conservative and common sense thoughts that separate me from a lot of my countrymen who merely share the same race as me. And that, I guess, gets to the nub of why they don't recognize me and perhaps why you may not, especially if you are a Democrat or just someone who gets their news from the mainstream media. You see, the Democrats today, even after the Civil War and the causes of it, even after 150 years of an attempt at Reconstruction, the battle against segregation, the KKK and Jim Crow, after all that, the Democratic Party still is obsessed with thinking race is the key indicator and thing that matters about a person. You'll notice I didn't put it on my list as anything in the hierarchy of things important to me, race. You know why? Because every society in history that ever made a use and purpose of race that thought race mattered ended up with one of two things, slavery or slaughter. 
Race consciousness is the least human and humane thing a society can measure itself by, and I'll give you an easy way to understand this. Do you think I, as a Republican, have more in common with Al Sharpton and Louis Farrakhan or someone like my fellow South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham or perhaps a prominent radio host like Dennis Prager? I have more in common with several white people than I do with a lot from my own race because our commonalities have to do with our senses of humor, our shared values, our beliefs about America and the world, our cherishing of freedom, our commitment to equality, and so many other things that matter and go to what a person and soul are. Skin color doesn't tell you anything about any of that or me. And if you'd never heard of me before tonight, just ask yourself, did you think I'd be saying what I'm saying once you saw me for the first time? If the answer is no, then you've elevated irrelevant skin color above our ability to reason and know what a human being is. Notice, too, if you thought you knew what I believed because of how I looked, you'd also be 180 degrees wrong. Race isn't just irrelevant, it turns out. It leads to huge mistakes, bad answers, when it is used to judge or assess or predict anything. Seems not a lot of people say this right now. And we need to because I worry we are slipping as a nation into a more racialized society than we have been since perhaps the 1950s. I believe we are slipping as a nation into a new era of self-flagellation and self-inflicted wounds based on this racial obsession that can only lead to a smaller, less powerful, less good, more embittered, more angry America. Self-inflicted wounds by dint of self-hate and irrational a historical condemnation. Why is America so worthy of preserving to me, of keeping strong, of picking ourselves up from this slip? Because America is the best country the world has ever known and has given me and my family and you and your family, whoever you are, more freedom and opportunity than any other culture or nation on the face of this earth. People who tell you otherwise are lying or don't know their history. If they are lying, shame on them for using race for political purposes. If they don't know their history, join me in the effort to revivifying the study of American history and the love of it in our classrooms and in our culture. I'm not saying we cover up our wrongs or ignore them. I'm saying we teach them and teach them in respect of all we have done, right and wrong, because the equation today is upside down. Too many are invested in proving we are more bad than good and more wrong than right. That's simply upside down. We are far more good than bad and far more right than wrong. I know of no other countries where protesters sing the national anthem in other countries than America and cite other than other countries than America's founding documents when they rise up against their tyrannies, whether in Beijing or Hong Kong or Warsaw or anywhere else, revolutions and 
dissidents have tried to breathe for a grasp of freedom. It is American iconography and beliefs. It is America's founding those dissidents redound to, rely on, learn from, and sing. They know why we were founded. But we don't sing much today here in America about America, do we? We shout and we yell and we sit through the singing of the national anthem. This worries me. It worries me because what this great country has meant for me and my family could go away tomorrow. Nothing is forever, and our founders knew that too. They left it to us to keep or destroy. I'd like to keep. I grew up very, very poor. In fact, I'd wager if you are watching me on television right now, I grew up much poorer than you. And here I am, not only a businessman who got to sign the front of checks rather than just the back of checks, I'm a U.S. senator from one of the states of the Deep South that is one of the more depressing histories when it comes to race in our past. History. Past. That's what I want people to know and not confuse it for the current and the present. For growing up as I did in the Deep South, deeply poor at the time of Jim Crow, my life story tells you more about America than anything else I just said about my circumstances and race. That is, in sum, the miracle of this country and our revolution, etched out, not in 1619, but in 1776. It was based on certain inalienable truths, or what our founders call inalienable rights based on self-evident truths, things we can't get rid of, rights and truth cannot be shed regardless of volume. Today we talk of my truth and your truth. We have a right to do that, but I prefer the truth. So having grown up in the country that gave me all and more anyone could expect from a little boy born in abject poverty in the Jim Crow South, because we are and were a country dedicated to the propositions that I should be able to do anything I wanted to legally and could become anything I could become legally to the point of becoming a U.S. center, I've proved the theoretical magic of this country with the actual experience in it. That this really is and was a country where dreams can and do come true, I've seen. I've done. I know that's real. That this is a country not built on racism, but built on freedom and equality that did everything it could, including expending the lives of hundreds of thousands of white Americans to rid itself of racism, is the main story of this country. I know. That's true. It's real. I could not have done what I've done and been here tonight with you if that were not true. There is a movement afoot today, led by the party of the man who just addressed Congress, Joe Biden, and that movement wants to tell you it knows not only what I think, but how I should think, and you should think too. It's a movement that takes up Roger B. Taney's view of our founding 
from the Dred Scott case and dispenses with Abraham Lincoln's understanding. It's a movement that tells you something Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King disagreed with entirely. It's a movement that tells you our founding was built on preserving slavery. Douglass didn't believe that. King didn't believe that. And in fact, they cited our founding again and again to assert their equal rights in this country so that I could be before you here today. End of day, my final message, the one thing I would like to communicate to you tonight at this time is this. As we go through several more years of this presidency, we Republicans will be here as the loyal opposition with no apologies. We see America and our values differently from the way the Democrats do, starting with what makes a human being, from the womb or to me right now. That's what a thriving society committed to freedom and equality does. It has and maintains opposing views. They aren't illegitimate because they are oppositional. They are either legitimate or illegitimate based on their merits, just like I am. Please, I urge, judge me and the policies the Democrats and the policies we Republicans promote based on merits, just as you should judge everything and everyone, and not on some ghost or fantasy or mistaken notion of what's truly important. For me, the important are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I commit to standing with the party that stands for those things, too, and always has. Those are the things that matter. Not my eye color or any other color of me. What makes me a man is my soul, my country, and the laws of nature that this miracle America was founded upon and gave me the life I have today. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Whenever I have to be reminded, remember there was an old series, I think it was the 50s, um, The Naked City, um, about uh, – it was a, um, a story about, I, I guess, New York, and they said there are 8 million stories in The Naked City. This has been one of them. Just to give you an idea of what a big country this is, I just saw something flash across the news ticker that a man has been arrested. I don't even know where here in America. A man has been arrested for trying to conceal finches, lots of them, birds, little birds, finches, into hair curling rollers and sneak it through an airplane that way. Like a dozen hair curling rollers, <laughs> little finches in them. It's a big country. There's a lot of diversity here. <laughs> Peter's in Tempe. Hello, Peter. Hello, Seth. Thank you very much for that fish story. That is amazing. I, I just said, well, it's ridiculous, but my gosh, I just have to remember what an odd <laughs> country this is. You know, it's a big country. That is so strange. Peter, I've uh, got to do a little thing here. i got to do a break. You've been paying. Can I hold you just for a few more minutes? Will you, will you stay about 10 minutes and I'll get right back to you, I promise? You bet. I'm worth 10 minutes, aren't I? My audience is anyway. Thank you, Peter. And anyone who wants to join Peter, we'll do a culture and economy update coming right up, and we'll do do your calls after. 602-508-0960. 
0960. Thanks, Peter. Thanks to the rest of you. We'll talk in just a sec. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski, founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com, and he has a show here every Saturday himself on 960 The Patriot, The Word on Wealth at 7 a.m. right here every Saturday. J.D., happy hump day. Hey, what's going on, Seth? You doing well? Doing excellent. Thank you, sir. Um... Let me try a headline with you. Oh, okay. S&P 500 closes flat after Fed keeps rates near zero. Dow falls 160. There's a lot right. in there, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, we, we saw today the market's kind of looking for some type of a, a direction, either to move higher or to move lower. Um, the Fed was kind of benign in what they've said. They've been saying the same thing over and over for you know, the last year as uh, we've been trying to come out of this pandemic. Uh, but but Fed Chair Powell, again, basically said, yes, the, the economy's heating up, but we still have not reached our target, and they're going to maintain low interest rates and continue with the easy, easy monetary policy. Uh, markets didn't really react much to that. I think on the other side of it, what I'm seeing is, is we once again saw – uh, some corporate earnings. Yeah, I wanted to ask today. you. Yeah, big ones. Uh, Amazon, Facebook, Apple. Talk to us. Yeah. Yeah, we had Facebook uh, just totally blew out the quarter revenue rising by 48%, which is staggering. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're getting, it's really from the ads that are being um, sold on Facebook. Uh, again, you have to understand, for those out there who are using Facebook, the benefit of using these types of uh, advertising platforms is is the data that they've collected on on the U.S. population, on the world population in reality, uh, is amazing. Probably so Facebook target. knows more about its users than the federal government in many respects, probably. I, I would agree with you, and the same with Google, yeah. right, who yeah. reported. For and sure. They blew out earnings. Apple blew out every, uh, you know, product that they sell. They, they beat on all of the metrics. Yeah. So uh, here we go once again, Seth. You know, everyone, I, someone asked me the other day, you know, why would I want to buy a stock like Apple? It's so, it, it's such at a high price. Now, a high price versus, um, you know, per share versus actual earnings to share are two different things. Yeah, yeah, right. And so, you know, if you're a believer in a company like Apple, like Facebook, or some of the other thing stocks out there, yes, there could be a high value on that stock today. But again, if you're a long-term investor, you and I talk about this on a regular basis, uh, we have to look at a company for not only its price today, but what is its future value going to be. Because that's really why we invest. We invest not for today, hopefully, but for tomorrow and for you know what we're going to be able to draw down from our portfolio when we retire, whether that's 5, 10, 15, 20, or 30 years from now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. these investments should be utilized as long-term investments and looked at in a manner that if you're comfortable and feel good about the investments you have and you understand them, that you'll be able to uh, propel yourself into a comfortable retirement. That's the goal. Does um, 
do, do the markets at this point seem to care? Big issue tonight will be Joe Biden's uh, yeah. annual message to Congress, what we'll later call a State of the Union. John, uh, John Dombrowski, he's going to talk about, in the aggregate, spending about $6 trillion bucks. Uh, with all of his various plans, the American Rescue Plan, Jobs Plan, Families Plan, six trillion bucks—that's two trillion more, right? Two trillion more than our reg- than our last budget, really. Uh, and what budget? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Than the last amount we spent per year. Right. How's that? How's yeah. that? Is so, that a better way uh, to put it? Yeah. That would be uh, good to first of all have a budget. Yeah. And to be able to stick to that, and of course, if we had an emergency, we understand we may have to, just like in our own household, an air conditioner goes, we have to replace it. Uh, but that's a one-time thing. It's not a forever thing, as we see with the government. It, it's a forever. Whenever some type of a plan is implemented, bringing on more people to rely on the government for uh, their their income is, is something that I think is probably not the best for this country at this point. Let's let private industry get back and do the job hiring, not the government. Help companies uh, hire people by a more favorable tax base for them. Uh, but that's just me, right, Seth? Well, it's me too. I'd say also yeah. let them open and operate, you know? There's a consequence yeah, exactly for shutting right. the economy down. J.D., you're the best. Thank you, sir. Yep. Hey, check out our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipican, an investment advisor. Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. I host John Dombrowski because he is the best. When I say it, I mean it. Thank you, J.D. You bet. Thank you, brother. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Would you rather be a resident of Nashville? I guess she's asking a small fish in a big pond or on the front page of the Turnertown Gazette. A big fish in a small pond. Peter was uh, very patiently waking. He's uh, waiting. He's a big fish in a small pond of Tempe. Hi, Peter. Thanks for your patience. Wow. I've never been called a big fish, but it's nice to know I finally arrived. Is it fair to call Tempe a small pond, or is that unfair? Town Lake? Well, when I first came to Tempe, there was about 80,000 people. It's yeah. about three times that size. Now. Yeah, yeah. These things move a lot, don't they? Yeah. So it, it has gotten bigger. Okay, so yes, you're a big fish to, in a big in a in a big pond. Yeah, I wanted to uh, thank you for that wonderful monologue. It was very inspiring. Thanks. And I would certainly encourage you to send a fax of that over to Tim Scott in front of his uh, rebuttal or his uh, response tonight. Well, you're awfully nice and to say that. Thanks, Peter. Thanks. And I think uh, the ideas in that are just spot on. I know he will cover some of them, at least. Uh, but I think if he missed one, I think some of those he might want to include and, and beef up his response to that. I think it's apropos, and it's a good thing to do. Well, you're nice to say uh, it, Peter. I, Thank you. I have fax numbers available. If you need them, or I can give. Them I have an there. email, and I've sent it to his communications folks. Thank you, but Peter, here's the here's what I think the problem is, and I don't want to spoil this. But what I think the problem is is that Republicans need to talk in these bigger frame issues, and I hope he does. Yeah. My worry is that he's going to talk 
around numbers. You know, my worry is that we're going to sound Democrat light. My worry is we're going to say, well, we too believe in infrastructure. We just want to spend X minus 10 or something. We too believe in the American family. We just want to, you know, spend less. These, that's what I worry. I just worry about us always trying to feel like the Democratic programs are good. They just need to be funded at lower levels. That's what I worry about. And we get lost in this debate about federal pocket change when there is indeed a regime level threat hovering over all public policy in this country. And that regime level threat is the leftist socialism and the language they're using to batter and badger Republicans when they don't go along with the Democrats plan. So he can talk about I don't know that he will, but he could say, you know, we, we, we propose $500 billion rather than a trillion. When tomorrow Nancy is going to say the Republican opposition to Joe Biden's family's plan is nothing short of racism. You know, I mean, we need to get the racism and the vernacular and the language thing out. And if he gave a speech like I propose, I think it would put the Democrats on the defensive because it would rob them of their knee-jerk ability to invoke race over and against most Americans' presuppositions. What I mean to say is when a Democrat invokes race, people are inclined to kind of go along with it because they don't want to be called a racist. But if you give a speech like I proposed Tim Scott give, then every American is now on um, – who watches it – is now on, um, on, on alert – to listen to the Democrats playing that race game. And yeah, he's got to go large. I, I just think so. I just think so. I think we're always going to be battling around the margins for small victories if we keep giving speeches that tinker with the margins for small victories. So I, I we just, need the big ideas to get out there, yeah. the huge concept yeah. of what we really stand for and call out the hypocrisy in a big way of what the Democrats have been doing with the race and with the finances and everything else and just nail it. Yeah, there's no reason not to because the question I would have is what are you afraid of? Yeah. What are you afraid of? If you gave a speech like the one I give versus one that niggles around the edges of spending – if you gave a speech like the one I suggested, it would be remembered, it would be big, and it would make you um, a national story. Uh, you know, as is, you could even it could even take the story away from Joe Biden, as as I suspect will happen. I hope I'm wrong because it's as I suspect will happen is we'll hear you know a lot about Republican infrastructure plans and a lot about um, um, Republican. Uh, border and tax plans, and all of which I back and I support and are important. But we're not going to win that way, not now, not when we're talking about, um, you know, spokes on the tire and they're talking about an entire car. Yeah, we have to be careful not to get lost in the minutiae yep. Yep. of this and I'll point out that these uh, larger-than-life ideas that these that we hold yep. as a nation and yep. that we were founded on are really 
uh, kernel of what we must have to move forward and steal some of their language and use the move forward, but that's what it is. We have a whole generation that has drifted away from the idea of America, and we need to rebuild that and rebuild it quickly. Right. I agree. And I think that, you know, these are the kinds of speeches they were they you know they were they were butchered in their covering but these are kinds some of the kinds of speeches Donald Trump gave if you think about his Mount Rushmore speech and if you think about the non-coronavirus speeches he gave it was about this sort of stuff he went big and 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 what might just be really good for this country is someone else giving those speeches who doesn't have the um I don't want to say baggage because baggage implies baggage, but who doesn't have the, shall we say, uh, initial negative, the initial negative um, imagery of Donald Trump. Not his fault, but I think it's fair to say he has some negative imagery, a lot, media driven. Yeah. Uh, It would be good if someone else gave his kind of speech, like the one I proposed, who doesn't have that. Yeah, Tim Scott is not an automatic target. Right. That's that's a better way to put it. That's what I was looking for. Automatic target. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. He is not. He's not known. It's interesting that he's not known. And if he gave the kind of speech I think I'm proposing, he would be. And, um, you know, if he doesn't, then he'll just be another Marco Rubio. Um, not that there's terribly anything wrong with that but you can be so much more you could be so much more you weren't elected to mark time and you weren't elected to be um a a a better democrat people were elected to change things and do big things at least that's what the republican party's always been about and not to just say yeah well we believe in less slavery than the Democrats. <laughs> right. I'm Seth Leibson. Thank you, Peter, for your kind words. We'll be right back. Does that song give you an image? There's an image from the movie Charlie's Angels where they played that song. <laughs> that song always. That and also Sarah Palin because that was her nickname, Barracuda when she was a basketball player, I think it was, in uh, Alaska in college. All right, this next caller reminds me of something I needed to do, but we have to put out an APB. We used to have a regular caller named Richard. Richard in Phoenix. Rick. Rick in Phoenix. Where is he? Whatever happened to him? It's been too long. Rick, your community calls your name. Um, Your nation... What's the lyric I want? Look from uh, the Simon and Garfunkel song, lifts its eyes to you. What is it, Rob? Nation, Rob, what do I want to say? Our nation lifts its lonely our eyes to him. Our nation turns its lonely eyes on you. Thank you. How are you, Rob? <laughs> I'm good, and I miss Rick, too. And, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. I'm I, glad um, you reminded me, too. Well, thanks. I, You know, it's funny. People matter. What a concept. Yep. Um, I, uh, I, I, was, I was with Peter. And I was with you, and by the way, again, uh, with Peter, a great, uh, great monologue about Thanks. what I could say. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> you know, we can almost predict uh, Joe's going to basically sell his, you know, trillions of dollars 
uh, calling them an investment because, you know, their side cares so much. I think Russ Limbaugh used to say that. Yes. They, they come across with this yes. idea that they care so They care so much. Care so much. Yes. They care. And, you know, when in fact it's all completely irresponsible, out-of-control spending and printing more money, and who pays for it? Well, we do, especially the middle class, but they won't tell you that because they'll sell the idea that it's going to go for higher corporate tax rates and the wealthy, right? Whatever wealthy is. Yeah, I saw that. They're, they're saying the top 1% now. Jen Psaki bomb is saying, I shouldn't do that. Jen Psaki is saying 1%, uh, just the top 1% will see their taxes grow up. Just the top 1%. Yeah. Well, we give me a family of four with some private education that makes $500,000, and I'll show you a family that is in the 1% but may not think it is. Well, yeah, and, and that's a very good point, too. I mean, you know, the, the idea, too, uh, when you were talking about, uh, you know, we don't want to get into the minutiae. I don't think we have to. I think, you know, we can stay macro by maybe Tim Scott will mention something. Well, who, who picked the figure of $1.8 trillion for education <laughs> yeah. and safety programs. Yeah. How is it broken down? Um, what are specifically in these bills? Yeah. And what percentage of these uh, trillions go to those specific programs? Right. And, you know, while we we both know Republicans won't be able to pass any bills, you know, how much money is really in COVID relief? How much money is going for infrastructure jobs and and, uh, you know, be a corporate tax. Well, we know, like, for instance, on the infrastructure, thank you, Rob, uh, on the infrastructure bill, it's uh, $2.3 trillion, and $1.5 trillion goes to nothing that we would ever call infrastructure. Not roads, not bridges, not ports, not grids, not broadband, not airports. $1.5 trillion. Once, in a, once upon a time, we would have called that a federal budget, not part of one. Thanks, Rob. Be right back.